Hi, everyone, and welcome back to One Life, a podcast with me, Haley Letty, licensed marriage and family therapist. I am excited to be joined this month by Danielle Randall, a life and business mentor right here in Vero Beach and owner of Authorized Love. She will be discussing with us how emotional intelligence is essential for today's successes. Let's hear from her now. Danielle here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Haley. <laughs> it's nice to be here with you. I really appreciate you taking the time. I am really, really fascinated about what you do, but also your story. And I know that you have a book out, and I have been joking with you about the fact that you definitely should have a book out there because of your fascinating life story. But tell us a little bit about um, what you do your career path and how it's kind of led to this direction. Share with us a little bit about you. So I'm a mentor and life coach, essentially. Uh, my, the core of what I do is help people get really clear about what they want and create a path to having it. So for most of the work that I do, whether it's helping people get out of a crisis or get into something super creative for themselves, we always ask this key essential question, which is, where do you want to be on the other side of this? And that could be on the other side of starting up a new business, on the other side of a relationship conflict or problem. It could be on the other side of personal development meaning I experience worry, anxiety, or fear around different parts of my life, and I don't know how to work with myself to move past that. So once we establish where you want to be on the other side of whether it's desire or chaos, we can create a path collectively to get you there. And it's so fascinating because we're always in transition to some degree in our lives. So there's always something that kind of is happening next, but what does that expectation look like? And that's, it sounds like something you help people to get there. We have this idea of what we might want, but with fear or whatever gets us in the way of being able to pursue it. And I think that probably holds us back from being able to do a lot of things we want to do next. Um, so what is the population you're most passionate about working with um, right now? Is there, is there certain um, people that you're finding you're really connecting with right now that you love working with? So I find that I work with entrepreneurs or spouses of entrepreneurs most of the time because entrepreneurs have a unique set of um, characteristics. They typically live on the risk line. And so whether you're at the effect of whether your spouse is an entrepreneur or you yourself are taking risks that impact yourself or your family, um, those people are usually the ones who are dreamers, small business owners, even independent contractors, right? Like I would consider all of those types in the entrepreneurial space. Um, I also think that working with creatives a lot of time who are really like introspective but wanting to bring some expression out into the world, like we'll work through those challenges as well. So I would say that those are the people that I end up with, mm-hmm. okay. right? The yep. majority of uh, my clients fall in that bracket. Yeah, and it's funny because when I went into business, not only was I learning, but my husband's learning. 
and my family's trying to navigate through this. So that's interesting that you said that. I have a lot of couples that come in who work together in business. That also causes some interesting dynamic. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of us need to learn a little bit more about how to navigate through those areas because it isn't always easy. And as the business owner, again, we're learning. We have to then kind of catch our family up, our spouses, right? And figure out how they can fit into this world that we've kind of started. And it is a world, right? When you own a business, it it's pretty much defines part of who you are now is, you know, whether it's woman, mom, right? And then there's also this like, oh, and I'm a business owner thing going on too. So um, what do you see are some of the challenges, but also some of the really great things that come out of that? Because I'm sure you see both. Yeah. So I would say first that, you know, there is no separation. So (laughs) to compartmentalize your life into business, home, work, it's not real. Uh, When you, it's not real even for people who are employed and go to a job. It's just a different form of expression. It's not any better, any worse. But what I know is that compartmentalizing yourself means that you are missing out on the harmonization of who you are, right? Because to do this kind of work in the world, you really need to be able to see the synergies. You need to see when things are coming together. You need to see when things are not in alignment anymore, Mm -hmm. right? And to say that like, oh, my home life is great. My work life is terrible is truly it's incongruent. It's Mm -hmm. not actually usually true. Um, what happens is people tend to take their focus off of one area and then they hyper focus on another area and because of that you have the contrast that looks like one is not doing well and the other is doing well but really what's happening is that you are overcompensating in one area and it really just means being able to take an objective look across the board and bring your yourself back to all of your life, right? Because the biggest challenge people have is believing that they have to work harder for more rather than maximizing their mindset, their emotional intelligence, and their intuition, which I would say is the, you know, those are the three places that my work really has the most crossover is bringing you into a place where you can harness all of those skills so that you're working less, so that you're making more, so that your creative abilities are um, nurtured, right? And in that same way, you also are loving more, you're playing more, you're resting more, right? This is about living in wholeness, not about living uh, with, you know, hyper-focused in one area. That's interesting you said that we overcompensate because I see that a lot with mental health, with anxiety. If I'm really stressed out, I'll go home, I'll clean my house top to bottom because something at work is, you know, obviously getting to me. Maybe I'm feeling um, insecure in some degree or I'm not getting something done that I need to and it's causing me some type of discomfort or anxiety. So I go home and that's where I expel a lot of this anxiety. It isn't in the right place though, is it? It's kind of compensating somewhere where I have control versus somewhere I don't. Where I need to go is where I feel out of control and address it there. So this happens, I think, all over the world and all over the place, wherever we're doing, we need to kind of, I think, focus more on where is this discomfort happening and what can I do about that? In control versus out of control type of attitude. Right. So this is the same here. For sure. And let's address the illusion of control. Mm. 
Yes. Uh, the illusion of control is that you actually have some. Right. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and I say let's start there because yes. that is in fact what's happening. If you are feeling, you know, overwhelmed at work and then you go home and clean the house, you have not addressed the overwhelm. Right. Right? You've essentially made yourself busy to avoid it. Distractions. Correct. So in that, in that like, uh, compensation for what's happening, you never, you never learned how to manage the emotional distress right where it was. Exactly. Right? So my clients and I work on learning how to process in real time. And I think that's a huge advantage to being my client because I am not a firm believer in going all the way back and doing all this work for, you know, all the years you've already lived or putting in a whole lot of time into future visioning and making sure that you're just so like focused on the future that you're essentially pulling yourself forward. When you have true emotional intelligence, you can be present with the full range of emotion that we were given as human beings, whether we're going from fear to love and all of the you know um, aspects of emotion that show up for us. And then you can process that and be present to it in the moments that they're happening, which gives you the capacity to be fully present. When you're fully present, you are calm. When you're fully present, you aren't experiencing uh, anxiety and worry. When you're fully present, you're open to intuition, into enlightenment. You're connected to divinity in whatever form it is you choose to call it, right? Like you are like living the dream at that point because the dream is to be here now. I think that's what we all want to hear. And it's family members and spouses and, and siblings and parents. I just want to be present with my family. I just want to be present. I just want to be there. But are you really? Unless these things are in line. And I think for a lot of us, they're out of whack in some way. Because we speak about this emotional intelligence. And um, for me, I think of like, you know, a bunch of crayons in the crayon box. You want to have many colors, you know, not just the black and the white. Or the, what I like to call, anger and resentment. We want the happy, sad, love, fear, care, disappointed, hurt, all these things. You know, because then we have, I think, more coping skills to be able to address when things do come our way. We can name it, we can identify it, and we can kind of um, manage it much better. What do you think about this idea, this definition of emotional intelligence? What does that mean to you? It means you can navigate the tides of emotion that are natural to being human. So you aren't always going to be able to control whether or not you have the feeling but you are going to be able to control how you react to the feeling. And that part is a skill. I mean, it's an opportunity to really be clear about what is going on for you to have the introspection and the, you know, um, intelligence to say like, this is mine, that's not mine, yes. right? A lot of times we walk into situations and we are they say picking up emotion, but what we're really doing is we're tuning in to something that is familiar. We're all vibrational matches for emotion, period, and for experiences. And so when we bump up against energetically uh, something that's familiar that we may not be consciously aware of, 
we start the memory bank of that particular vibration, which is emotion, right? Mm-hmm. Coming forward, and now your subconscious is essentially ruling the moment, yes. and you're hijacked. Yes. You don't know what's happening. You don't know why you're reacting in the way that you do. But what you can do is become so aware of who you are in this moment that when that happens, you can look at another person and say, not mine. Yes. Not mine. I love that. I'm not on fire in this moment. Could you imagine? Hey, this is oh my, my gosh. This is my the best reaction. example. Like, if We're you and I reacting. are sitting in this room and you are on fire and I'm not on fire. <laughs> we wouldn't know what to do, right? We'd be like, I oh mean, my gosh, why are you not on fire with me? I have... But it's a healthy way to, to not be on fire because you are your own individual and I'm mine. So that well, makes perfect sense. Well, I can't put sense. you out <laughs> if I act like I'm on fire. You're, yeah, where's the like, fire You exposure? don't have a minute to bring yourself to a state of calm awareness, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have it because you're on fire. And so you may be in a reactive mode that will save your life, right? We're gonna bank on your, you know, uh, biological mm-hmm. uh, intelligence to shut, to like show up for you and get you Hopefully. off. Right, <laughs> I mean, but it's true, right? Like that is, there is a whole study of the brain that would support this being true, that your biological functions are going to create a response in you that is likely to help you save yourself. I'm not on fire. So if I'm not on fire, I have the ability to assess you and make a discerning choice about how to best serve you. And that's empowering, I think, when you get to make that choice versus the reaction takes over. I feel like that's a very empowering moment. I'd be like, wow, I'm really kind of in control at this moment. This feels really good. I don't have to respond. I don't have to react inappropriately back. But I think most of us are doing that. We're walking around, reacting to everybody, reacting to everything negatively. I mean, look what's going on in the world right now with this coronavirus. It's like everyone is in panic. Everyone's in fear, but it's festering more panic and fear. And it's really not helpful. And if we had this idea of, no, not me, you know, let me take a step back here, maybe we wouldn't all be so tense and so anxious all the time. We'd get some relief for ourselves. But I see this a lot in children, and I don't know if they're, I don't know if it's because we're having trouble um, as parents now giving this to our children, but I don't, I'm finding that they're not having the skills that you're talking about. Do you notice that with, with this next generation coming through? Are they able to calm themselves down and actually use the brain that has been wired to, you know, put the fire out themselves? Are they able to self-soothe, so to speak? Are we rushing in as parents too much where they're unable to find that skill? Well, I would say this, most parents can't give their children what they don't have in any area of their life. So if you don't have uh, emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm. you can't pass on emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. If you don't have on fiscal Mm -hmm. intelligence, right, and you're not responsible for your, you know, wealth creation, Mm -hmm. you're not likely to pass that on to your children. If you have never been a business owner, and you have a child who's an entrepreneur and you have no idea how to serve them, you're not going to give them the kind of information or wisdom, you know, that they need. And this is really learned behavior then. This is really more of the, you know, uh, nurture versus nature side of things. It's definitely something we're looking up to parents or we're looking up to guardians and saying, how do I do this for myself? 
Yeah, and I think that today's children are overstimulated more than ever before in our life, like in the, the like history of humanity. They are exposed to and have access to more information than we ever have. That is very true. I could never Google things as a kid. Now, everything is at our fingertips. And everything is based in a energy of instant gratification. So I believe those two things are contributing to children not being able to soothe themselves because they're expecting whatever it is they want to happen in a snap. They're not really open to the idea that things are like there's time. Yes. Right. I would say to you, there's no such thing as time except when you need to allow it. Right? Like, yeah, like you said, you need to take a step back. I'm not going to react to you. I'm going to let you figure out how to kind of calm yourself down in this moment. But they would then have to take that time to figure out how do I do this? And it might take more than a minute. It might not happen right away. It might take 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And do we have the patience to do that for ourselves, even? Yeah, you know? and I don't know if anybody has children and they've watched the uh, YouTube channels that appeal to children. Mm you'll also see that we are training our young people to be over dramatic for the purposes of entertainment. Oh, interesting. And it's, wow. it is a real interesting thing. So I have an almost nine year old mm-hmm. and while YouTube comes and goes in our house <laughs> pretty frequently, it could be gone for a month because we can't take any more of it. And it could be back on because we don't want to deny him the privilege of being entertained. Sure. But when I see that the modeling that's happening is taking things that are relatively un, uh, uninteresting, right? Or, and so you have like a gamers playing games. You have children or teenagers who are, are talking about the game that's being played, but you have viewers who are not playing the game at the same time. And so you get a lot of exaggerated emotion over very that's true plain old boring things that you're watching right you see this character going across the screen nothing's happening but the reaction from the person who's doing the filmed videos whoa oh my god wow. like i can't believe it and i'm like that is really fascinating what just happened yeah like why are we getting all hyped up about this correct <laughs> but they would need to or you wouldn't watch the video It'd because be it'd be boring as hell so we're teaching, not me personally, I'm yeah. trying to hold down the other end, <laughs> at least in my own house, um, but we are teaching uh, We are teaching our children, and if you, you think about social media and the way adults are using it and being exposed to it, we also are adopting these behaviors where we think it's appropriate all of a sudden to overreact emotionally to things that literally mean nothing. And so you have a child who's triggered by a parent who's already been, um, you know, tested and stressed throughout the day for their own reasons and overexposed to the same, you know, level of uh, stimulation. And now all these overstimulated people are trying to help one another by going, don't do that, don't do that. Like it's just like an art, you know, it's It's like, (laughs) right. It's just like chaos ensuing because no one is okay. 
right in that moment so I, I think yeah. that's like part of what's contributing interesting yeah it's a very and I never knew about this whole YouTube I'll have to like look on YouTube and check this out because it I bet it's like the people that are watching are reacting we're not even paying attention to the people watching we're just looking at what's happening probably boring stuff is happening but then you look at the person who's watching and wow their reactions are just over the top and I think that is definitely the only way that we're getting through watching certain things and I look I think of it too if I'm watching a movie why do I have to also be checking my phone why is not one thing enough it's like I have to be overstimulated now it's it's I think we're all getting to the point where we're all probably a little bit guilty of that we have to be overstimulated constantly but you're saying it's affecting emotional intelligence too because we should be balanced we should be leveled we should be able to again calm if need be and everything is kind of over the top well let's let's yeah let's talk about that for a minute right mm -hmm. so when you have someone who is genuinely experiencing emotion and let's let's even say something like grief let's just pick grief right so if someone's experiencing grief what else really grabs their attention nothing because it's such a deeply felt and deeply seated emotion it's dominant yeah that it is all-consuming so when you are living in an environment where we are conditioned to being overstimulated and a feeling of that level or magnitude comes up and it can be the same for great joy mm, right. people don't want to feel the greatest and fullest expressions of joy because the drop-off feels like frightening yeah so it's at the anticipation of what could happen if i get to joy or success well they don't even let it it's regulated by let me pick up my phone so what i'm saying is that in the body dread and excitement are two sides of the same coin Physi physiologically your body reacts the same way so you are you know tightening of the stomach you're like you know alert beyond you know your typical awareness and in those heightened states people want to be dulled down because they don't know what's coming and having emotional intelligence lets you be aware of what's coming what's happening yes you can handle it yes this is you know well within your uh, skill set to navigate through it if it turns out it's dread not excitement right and it makes you really live a much richer life yeah it's like bring it on life i can take you on and i can figure it out and i'll be okay and honestly who doesn't want to you know have that feeling of utter joy if it is good but we're you're saying we're holding ourselves back and that's so interesting oh most of the time we won't even go for the thing we really want we go for what we think we can have the easiest kind of uh, again, route, so to speak? Uh, the, the thing that, yeah, the easiest route or just the thing that is what we would call like most obvious to get. So, you know, I have some clients who, you know, are perhaps coaches and I do work with, a, you know, a group of coaches and helping them strengthen and grow their skill sets, right, for their clients. And, and then you have like coaches who also want to be on television and they have you know additional dreams that they're ignoring because they coach well and coaching's easy well if you want to be a tv host and you're a good or a great coach it's not two dreams working against each other right right but one is really easy it's going the extra mile right and the other one is really fulfilling 
And it's like the fulfillment part has been tabled for some level of fear, for some level of, you know, um, I don't want to be disappointed, right? Like there's there's an obstacle or a block sitting there that just doesn't uh, give you the same level, doesn't get the same level of your attention that your dream truly deserves, right? Like it's... So it's an interesting experience. This has a lot to do with self-worth, self-esteem, and how we feel about ourselves and being able to do that task. But I think a lot of times we question our abilities, and I think that holds us back from a lot of things. This this drives me crazy because I see this so often. You know, people just being afraid of success. This idea that people are absolutely terrified of being successful. And when I talk to people, they will admit it. It's not something that they're afraid or ashamed to say. Where does this come from? Like being afraid of success. And, you know, is it something that started from when we were really little to maybe something has to happen? But, you know, holding ourselves back from being able to be right, our best selves, we do it all the time. Where is this coming from and where do you th- what do you think this is about? So I do a lot of identity work with people. And when you do that kind of work, you realize very quickly that this fear is not of the success itself the fear is of who they will be on the other side of it and so there are ideas that we have about who we are right now and there are ideas about who we will need to be to get what we want and then once we start to entertain bringing those two places closer together we start to worry about what it will cost us to be what is required to have what we want. Okay, because there is a cost. There has to be, and there also has to be a benefit for thinking this way. Correct. So you're saying there is a cost, and the cost is what might I lose or you know not be as close to or connect with anymore if I put my time or energy here, for example. The, the, and there has to be, again, a benefit on why we keep doing this to ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's an effort of uh, protection, self-protection. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, is that what you really need to lose as a mindset coach, right, and, yeah. a, and an emotional intelligence mm-hmm. specialist, you, you have to lose the thoughts, you have to lose the beliefs, and you have to lose the emotions that you have become comfortable with more than anything to be the thing you want to be and that's not easy to do necessarily because we've maybe been doing that for years holding on to those certain emotions that we have they are tied up in your identity there's a way you wake up in the morning there's a way you make coffee there's an emotion attached to that experience there's how you say goodnight to your children there's how you date as a a single person there's you know how you show up at the gym all of those aspects in terms of thought in terms of feeling and behavior are tied into your identity so what happens is you think you have to die to be (laughs) successful you literally behave inwardly like I am putting everything I know that makes me me at risk and that looks scary to a lot of people I'm sure it does but as we know and and we've kind of I think it's not so easy to just make that jump, so to speak. When you make the jump, it's worth it. It really is totally worth it. But the mindset, you got to get there. And that's so, so important, I think. But yeah, I love this idea that identity is actually keeping us wrapped up and, 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 and 
stopping us from being able to do things that we want to do, thinking that I'd literally have to change everything. And, and part of that is true. I had to change a lot of things to be in business. You know, I had to give up more time, even more money at some point, more family, you know, um, time or whatever. And, but at the end of the day, it's worth it. You have more freedom, right? You have more opportunities to be with your family because maybe you're making the money you want. But yeah, it, it could absolutely be a scary thought. When you're thinking of barriers, this, this idea of barriers is really important um, and so, so true. What is the biggest barrier you see with relationships? What are, the, what are the biggest things you see that are holding people back from being able to have that love they just really want to have or that intimacy they really want to have, right? That romanticism that they crave and you know, because we have people in our office all the time looking to fall in love, be in love, stay in love, all of the above with relationships. You know, what's, what's stopping them, do you think? What do you see the most? One is fear that they can't be loved as they are that love is something that can be taken and given. So in, and I'll, I'll say it this way, in my work with people, there's one rule and love is not negotiable. So if we take love off the table, then you have to tell me what's really going on. You really have to look at, right, where is the um, resistance to making the change happening? And there's, there's ego tied up in so much of relationship drama. So it, it's, many it's games. such a waste. So Honestly, many games going it's such on out a there. waste of time and space for relationships to be tied up in, in ego. Because what I notice is there are husbands and wives, right? And I, I also work with single people mm -hmm. who are dating. But if we get, just take this example, husband and wife. Wife wants more intimacy in the relationship. Wife is scared to tell husband, I want more intimacy in the relationship. And I'm not joking in a way, and I am joking in a way when I say it this way. Thank God you yeah. want more intimacy in your relationship. Yeah. Like at least you acknowledge that you want it, right? So then you get the fears that come up with, what if he doesn't want it, right? What if he doesn't feel the same Rejection. way? Yeah. Right, fear of rejection, right? Fear of being too much, needing too much, right? Like, and then I laugh and I say like, okay, so, so what's the alternative? You can present your, you know, communication is such a big deal. So many people do not communicate clearly or effectively and that muddies everything from the start, right? They withhold all of this uh, insight that they have about who they are and what they want. They just flat out refuse to share it. And also, we have partners at times who are afraid of emotion, right? They themselves don't have emotional intelligence. They think they're being blamed. They think that there's, you know, guilt being or shame being thrown their way. And they don't want any part of that. So the thing they deflect is the request for more intimacy. Right. And so here's my funny, not so funny. So when <laughs> I get to a point with a client who's like telling me they want more intimacy in their relationship, and they're gonna present it, you know, I'm suggesting we present this to their mm -hmm. partner, mm -hmm. and they're like, I don't know how he's gonna respond. I said, well, let me put it to you this way. You can say this, I want more intimacy in our relationship. Would you be willing to work on that with me? Isn't that so direct? I love I statements for this reason. It is so direct, it is so asking for what you want, but it's also very vulnerable, and I think that's why people don't do it. They're terrified. Right. And so I said, so what's the worst that happens? 
Yeah. Your partner says to you, no, I don't want more intimacy. You know what my answer is to that? Great, I'll get a boyfriend. <laughs> because in a relationship, you have an agreement to come to a place where it's, no one has the same appetite for everything. Of course not. But of there is not. there is an agreement. Well, then we have to try. You're saying we have to try. Go to your spouse and at least try. If they say no, okay, then you know where you stand. But if you don't, you'll be guessing your whole relationship, not getting your needs met, and guaranteed they're not also getting their needs met because they were hoping and praying that you come to them and say, I want more intimacy. 99.8% <laughs> of the time, the other person wants to participate in helping you get what you want. I, I do notice we are kind of people pleasers in a way, specifically with our romantic partners. We don't want to get rejected. We want them to look at us with those passionate eyes and so we will do what we need to do right if we have that commitment and that that um kind of urge to like want to make this relationship work most likely they will agree they will say okay they will be like oh my god this is wonderful thank you for coming to me but it's that little doubt in our minds that stop us from being able to do it and instead we use a lot of those you statements you know, you didn't, you know, you didn't, you are, why don't you? Okay, well, that's not working. You're not actually directly asking for what you want. And I always say to my clients, use your I statements all day long. I want, I appreciate, I would like, I feel. Because the second you start to do that, you're directly, assertively asking for what you want. People look at me like they're terrified, though, when they first start doing it. And they do take a while to get adjusted to this new idea of the I statement versus the you statement. But it works. It totally works. If I want to ask my husband to take out the trash, I'm not going to say, did you take out the trash? I'm going to say, I'd really appreciate if you take out the trash. He is so whoop, up and going to that trash and he's taking it out and he's proud and happy because not only does he want to please, but he also understands that it's something I'm asking and that I would appreciate if it was done. And that makes it all the more better, I think, for everyone. And when I say, did you take out the trash? defense immediate defense no i didn't no i'll do it in a minute uh, you know it's immediate defense and th these use statements really do put us on the defensive in relationships i think oh they definitely do and and as a person who studies patterns mm -hmm. you know for uh, my work mm -hmm. most people are living out an old pattern mm -hmm. so they're not even aware that the resistance that's being created when they say I would like, I would appreciate it if you took out the trash and then husband or wife rolls mm -hmm. eyes, mm -hmm. right? And this is just an aversion to right. being connected, Yes. right? And so then the person who did the requesting is now thinking they're, they're wrong for having asked mm -hmm. because the other person didn't like it. And I'm thinking, no, you were just given information in the moment that you're not really sure where it fits mm -hmm. because we don't know why they rolled their eyes and quite honestly if they're not even aware they rolled their eyes most of the time if right. you really slow people down mm -hmm. uh, you would really get clear about most people don't know what they're doing they don't know why they're doing it they don't know that they did just do it Sure. So emotional intelligence is not only a verbal thing, it is a non-verbal thing. We could be non-verbally communicating all day long. And I do believe we communicate more non-verbally than verbally, probably, with our partners, with our families, with our coworkers. We're constantly communicating, but it's not necessarily verbally. So this emotional intelligence can be happening, it sounds like, also with no words being said. Yes, absolutely. It is a That's transference of energy when when people are, you know, 
in relationship. It, it doesn't even have, you don't even have to be in front of the person and just thinking about being with that person, right? You're thinking about what it's like to ask will put you into a state that will cause a reaction when you get there. No matter, your tone won't be correct when you ask. Right. You'll have the right words, but you'll have a tone that's, you know, uh, reminiscent of that other version of how you <laughs> said it last time, right? And then the other person can't hear you. Right. They don't hear anything you said. You're right. like, I just said, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> They're like, you attacked me. And you're like, I, I didn't attack you. Complete you know I mean? miscommunication. Like, complete yeah. miscommunication, right? Which is really, again, like, this is, this is what I think happens in the world. We, we're not great communicators. There's not a whole lot of focus on effective communication in our teaching and schooling and upbringing. Um, we are, we're, we're scared to take a stand for what we want because we don't know how to do it without trying to overpower or control. Yeah, we don't want to come off rude, we don't want to come off demanding, like that partner or that mother, or you know, we want to come off as nice as we possibly can. But now we're just getting to the point where we're not even getting our point across. <laughs> Right, we're, we're just, we're just gonna not ask for any of it, right? Yeah, and, and you mentioned this energy, kind mm -hmm. of like this energy that you feel, and this, this I believe is a gift. This is not something that I feel everyone has the capability of doing. You walk into a room, you sense energy, you feel the vibes, and you're instantly kind of drawn, right, one way or the other. And this happens within your sessions, too, it sounds like. Where did this come from from you? When was the first realization that you just have this gift? Because, again... It is not something that everyone is maybe born or instilled to have, or this emotional intelligence. Also not something that might be brought up right away. Was it something that was a part of your upbringing, or was it something you learned down the road? Yeah, no, it wasn't part of my upbringing. By the time I was in my late 20s and um, starting to become exposed to coaching and counseling and, you know, this kind of guiding people, if you would, um, I had two emotions, okay and fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, um, and, and I lived there. Everything was either okay or fine. So if it was fine, you knew it wasn't. And if it was okay, it was mediocre at best, right? Um, and I didn't know that that's where I was dwelling, but it was brought to my awareness by my mentor who exposed me to a fuller range of emotions. And, you know, you'll appreciate this. So when I first started exploring this work in the world and understanding that there was something other than okay and fine, the internet wasn't what it is today. In fact, we were still on dial-up and things were slow <laughs> yes, and AOL was popular. And the only place when I was doing my research for myself around, I was, you know, offered the question like, well, what else could it be if it's not okay or fine? How could you define this? Was this one site, Gamblers Anonymous. Oh my gosh. Gamblers Anonymous was the only website I could find wow. at the time. This is like about 20 years ago at this point that had 240, 55 different emotions that I printed out, you know, as quickly as I found it and thought, Oh my God, like there are so many emotions that you could feel. And so when I started to sit with that level of um, insight around, you know, what was possible, 
I mean, there's a distinction between being discontented and frustrated. I know, isn't it? There's and so there's, many out there. Right? And there's a le- there's also an appropriate level of response mm-hmm. to discontented and frustrated. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, not everything gets angry. Right. Right? So then you start to really, like, I did a lot of self-study and really developed my skills of empathy. And so uh, I would say that I am a natural empath, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know it. Mm -hmm. And once I had the knowledge and language, the more I was aware that I was like, oh my God, I so know how to do this. Like I didn't realize that I could walk into a room and read the room. Because you have it, it's a feeling, but again, knowing how to translate it and communicate it, completely different story. Absolutely, and I, I am a phenomenal translator because I don't necessarily need my clients to be able to articulate what's going on for them. I can serve them as a mirror, and I won't, I won't tell them what they're feeling, but I will perception check with them in ways that are palpable. So when we hit it, they feel it, and it resonates for them, and they're like, that's it. You put into words what I was experiencing, where I didn't have language for that. So that makes my work with people very deep and very quick. That, that, is, that I would say is something that's unique to the way I do my work in the world. All right, that's very interesting because again, you're hitting something that's already instilled in them, it's already there, probably screaming at you. You're aware of it, maybe they're not even aware of it yet. But then to be able to bring that out and even their emotional intelligence then it sounds like increases because they're now able to implement what you've taught them to express it maybe to their partner or to their family members or to a coworker or something where they can now share what they've been feeling this whole time. And that's so empowering. Yeah. That's so cool. It, it, it's, it's really cool to watch it happen for people because when they have, when they have understanding, they also have healing. And in those moments, years of repressed emotion are, are released instantly. And it, yes, we joke around, my clients cry. Mm-hmm. But um, even if they don't, it isn't about the tears so much as it's about the release. Yeah. It's like you can see their shoulders drop. I can feel the room soften. But it's like you take one emotion that has been misidentified for a lifetime and and that's what happens Mm -hmm. and it's like screaming for your attention it's like i'm here i'm here i'm here and you're like i don't know what you are Mm -hmm. i don't know what you want and i'm afraid of you right because i don't know who you are and i don't know what you want right and even though i'm talking about uh an emotion that way it's it's real you can feel it and so when that that energy is released because it has acknowledgement, which is the only thing emotion ever wants. Oh my gosh, validation. It just wants a witness. I swear, like, if (laughs) you do anything, it's like, (laughs) just witness yourself. If you do nothing else after listening to all of this, if you were to stand in the mirror and witness, I feel sad. I feel happy. I feel scared, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel confused. I feel overwhelmed. I feel anxious you would have a release of emotion that would create space for the kind of clarity that creates miracles. Yes. That is the difference, right? Like I make space for a living. That's what I do for people. Ah, yeah. I just, I'm amazing. just a, an amazing internal housekeeper. Like that's <laughs> I how that. I say, I'm I like, you want to do some dusting, let's get in, let's yeah. clean it up, let's make some space. Because in the space, the love naturally is already there. Love is not asking your permission to be with you. It is you. Mm -hmm. 
right? So what I do is I declutter the things that stay in the stand in the way of experiencing this unconditional love that's already there. Mm-hmm. And then with the space, it's unbelievable what happens. We have more room for all these wonderful things that could be, I think, at the end of the day, too. You don't even have to ask your partner. All of a sudden, your partner's like, I want to be near you. So it's it's like infectious. You're like, you know, you're spreading this love and people are feeling it. I do believe in this idea that if you have a positive attitude or if you have confidence, right? Not cockiness, confidence. You walk into a room, people pay attention, and it's attractive. It is. It's very attractive to have this idea of, you know, just feeling your identity is defined, you're feeling good about yourself and your worth, maybe you've established where these barriers are and you've let go of all these things holding you back, and you walk into the room and it is very attractive. Yeah. Love begets more love. <laughs> we just That's want to the spread the love. That's the way it works. <laughs> it's not asking your permission, it's not waiting for you to get on board, That's like beautiful. this is how it works. Yeah. So it's like if you get out of the way... move out of the way (laughs) and you happen to like be quiet long enough it's going to do what it does like it doesn't need you and essentially to make it happen it's it's really like we're we're not we're not accustomed to having that feeling long enough and when you don't have when you don't have a like a muscle for it Mm -hmm. you can't hold it like going to the gym you got to work it out it is and make it i think bigger and better and stronger um, but like you said, we're, we're actually stopping a lot of these feelings from happening before they can happen. Yeah, because we are conditioned to believe that you have to work for love. So when you're not working for love, you're actually confused in the sense like you don't think you're going to get it. Ooh. So you keep yeah. working for it. Most relationship issues are because one partner or both partners believe they have to work for love. And that looks very different for each of them. So while one is quote unquote killing themselves doing all the things that no one cares about... They've missed the boat. Love has sailed. Like it's not available to them because they believe they have to work for it. So they don't allow themselves to get to the place of like internal rest where you would just feel it for no reason. Sure. So there's no, you know, there's no passing back and forth, if you would, because the minute I don't think I'm working enough for it, I create another job for myself. And it's just another distraction. It's just creating more chaos. If we're kind of quiet, we kind of hush, we sit down, we're, we, we look around, we actually can feel love, you're saying. Yes. But we're creating a lot of distractions for ourselves. More work, more tasks, more things. Correct. Gotta Whether be. it's people pleasing <laughs> or whatever we were taught that we mm-hmm. think is it, is... it is something we're taught. We're taught to... We're taught patterns of love, like what's going to be okay for you is not going to be okay for someone else, depending on how they were, you know, experienced it in in their own childhood or just in their own life in the world, Mm -hmm. right? Like whatever their files in their head have as evidence is what they're going to live to. We're just going to pull it out every time, keep pulling the same ones out, hoping that it works, right? But being still is really powerful. We got to learn to be still. But I think we are antsy, anxious, scared, you know, and overwhelmed. And we have to keep this energy going up all the time to be distracted. So being still, this idea of practicing being still, we got to learn how to do it. I don't know, especially right now more than ever, okay? This world is, is I don't know what's going on out there. What, what education certifications have you gotten as far as to get you to this level where you have all this knowledge? Like you said, this was something that kind of came for to fruition later on 
And what was your training like? Tell me a little bit about how that was. Yeah, so the beginning of my story is, you know, the first 33 years of my life is in my book. Uh-huh. Um, I met God in a nightclub, The Unconventional Truth. And that, that tells you the story of my first mentor. Oh, very cool. And to check how, that out. And how she, and how she really, uh, she was a psychic spiritual counselor. And so she gave me a set of skills that would raise my level of intuition and uh, clear sensing to a phenomenal degree. After that, I, I wasn't satisfied with that because I had another piece of paper in my hand. So um, I went to school for four years to become a minister of spiritual consciousness. And this is so cool. I just, you gotta tell us more about this. I just find this so interesting. (laughs) I did, I went to, so it's a a coaching, advanced like master's level coaching program and personal development program with an additional year for ministry. And I was trained by one of the best in the world at what I do and so (laughs) She was, uh, she was tough, and <laughs> I bet. it was a big commitment, and I made it happen because it was important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not know what I was signing up for when I signed up. <laughs> Does anybody ever know what they... No. No. Mine was really, mine was really me trusting life. I did a meditation that I talk about in my book. Mm-hmm. I followed this color throughout the day, and it took me to an application. I sent them the money, and I signed up for four years of school. Four years of school. Wow. While I was at that school, I needed to go to another school simultaneously <laughs> because I'm just an overachiever and I have a need to know that is unquenchable. And so then I was trained as a shamanic cranial sacral therapist, which gave me access to the physical body Okay. and intuiting the physical body. Um, while I don't do medical mm-hmm. uh I don't do medical things. It did give me um, another level of sensitivity so that I could now actually understand how energy in the body, as it related to thought and emotion, would be held, how it could be healed, how it could be moved. So, so for yeah, I don't really do cranial sacral therapy at all, uh, but I do take what I learned from that experience and marry that with my coaching skills over the years and I have really created my own blend if you would at this point of a body of work that I call authorized love because I I really don't know what else to call it we're like that is what it is we give power to love and so where did you come up with this name this is such a fascinating but great name it does kind of say a lot without saying much at all right because it's it's what you said you don't really need permission to love Right? So it's giving you this idea that love is already there. You just got to kind of, you know, accept it for what it is. So tell me about how you came up with your name. So I think, um, like everybody, I had a business name that was just really representative of me. Uh-huh. It was like Danielle Randall. <laughs> yeah, right. We all start somewhere. <laughs> and uh, and I thought, like, what what is it I really do, right? And I kept meditating on this question. What is it I really do in the world? How do I really serve? I already was ordained. I had already, you know, been in, uh, I had a private practice. I owned a CrossFit gym. Like, I was doing quite a few things that I wanted to know the link, the common link. What is it that I do? And I was at the grocery store swiping my card. And because of 
my own, you know, uniqueness. I like to go to the grocery store a lot, and so I like fresh food, and uh-huh. I, I was shopping like every other day. Mm-hmm. And it, I just noticed that when I swipe my card, it said authorize. It asks you every time, authorizing. You're right. Authorizing. Authorizing. <laughs> and I thought, wow, if we authorized love as frequently as we authorize our payments, Genius. look how easy it is to give them money, mm-hmm. right? For whatever it was, I'm at the store, swipe, authorized. And I said, I want, you know, if we were able to do that, if we could give power to love in all situations, under all conditions, and at all times, the way this machine will take my money, we, we'd win. We would win oh, yeah. in the we'd, world. And we'd all win because we'd, we'd all be all feeling win. it and we'd Correct. all be giving it. <laughs> we would just win. It would just be unbelievable. And that was, wow. and then I, of course, like every good, you know, entrepreneur, I went home and said, is the URL available? Because if the URL is not available, then this is wrong. And that's just Gotta, mean. Just and keep I don't, our fingers crossed. We say a prayer. We go, please be available. And I did. And I went, oh my God. I think this is it. I've got it. And that day I bought the URL and I forever have been explaining what authorized love means. Genius. To audiences everywhere. Um, <laughs> because for, of course, it is a consciousness if you think about it. And and I guess in this, in this day and age, it still needs a little bit of, um, it needs a little bit of uh, explaining. It, it, you're absolutely right. You would think that someone comes in, they define love no problem. But when I have a couple sitting in front of me and I ask them individually, what is your definition of love? And I ask the partner the same question, they actually have different answers. There is different definitions. There is different language to love. So I think it's just a genius and and brilliant idea what you've come up with. And it also allows people to kind of define it themselves too. They come in, they have their own idea, you know, but it is giving them permission to do it. And I, I love that. That's so good. I love that story. I had no idea. See, I'm learning new things all the time, too. Um, You know, there is a lot of output in your job. You're giving, giving, giving a lot of... And it's energy, too. Like you said, it's energy. It's mind, body, and soul. How do you make sure you're maintaining your self-care, maintaining, you know, your stamina throughout all of this? Because I know in in therapy, it's the same thing. A lot of output all day, and we need to make sure we're maintaining our, our sanity, so to speak, in some way and making sure we're giving um, to ourselves so we're even better for that next client that comes in. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a few non-negotiables. One is my connection to love itself. Mm Non-negotiable. I am always going to fill first before I give. Smart. Yeah. And I have space for that, right? Like I've created a life and a business that makes it so I can fill. Uh, Physical fitness is a Mm non-negotiable i have to move my body i have to move it every day Mm -hmm. uh it doesn't matter exactly how i move it i have some preferences in terms of what i do um i used to own a crossfit gym so i favor barbells Mm -hmm. i like them (laughs) i like to move heavy things and uh that really keeps me in my in like in connection with my physical humanness Mm -hmm. the eating Mm-hmm. Eating well, eating... What you're putting in your body. What Makes you put sense. in your body. I mean, I, I, I eat and treat my body well, so what I eat is important. Um, I, I have an ongoing, open dialogue with life itself. So I talk to the trees, I talk to my car, mm-hmm. I talk to the people around me, 
I talk to my house when I walk in it. I am in an ever-present, ongoing conversation with life itself. And I do that because everything is life-giving when you're acknowledging life. Well, you right? give, you get. Right. You give, you get. It's the same in marketing. It's the same in networking. It's the same anywhere. If you own a business, you really relate to this. But it's the same in our personal lives, too, I think. Yeah. And so I just keep that conversation open, and that lets me know, like, hey, do I need to go for an extra walk today? Do I need to take a bath? Do I need to sit quiet? Do I need to read and contemplate? Do I need to pray? Do I need to color? Whatever it is. Literally, you know, cooking can be mm-hmm. nurturing. Laundry is nurturing for me because I treat it like it's something that can give me mm-hmm. rather than take, right? So yeah. my self-care is across the board. I allow me and life to be in conversation about what care I need so I can show up fully. And I also have mentioned this in previous uh, videos and podcasts, but to be in tune with yourself. Mm-hmm. Check in. See what you need see what fulfills you in that moment it's going to change from moment to moment and we might need different things on any given time and you're saying you're checking in quite often during the day and I think we could all do that a little bit more absolutely I check in with what color food I need to eat today love it you know it really it really is that simple and when you have self-trust you can actually allow that's big yeah you can allow yourself to just effortlessly be guided to what you need. It's, it's not so, you know, weird and woo-woo to think that you could actually know what you need. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you are divine intelligence of the highest form walking around this planet. It's not unbelievable to me that you would know if you needed a nap or not. <laughs> like, I don't... Well, we got to clear out all that self-doubt and self-judgment and, you know, expectations of everyone else. But once that's cleared out, you get to exactly what you're talking about. Okay, when you're not working for love everywhere. Yes. Trying to please your boss, trying to please your kids, trying to please your spouse, trying to please your friends, your mother, your father, right? Like when you're not working for love, love works for you. And when love works for you, you don't have to do anything. We'd all be a lot less stressed out, wouldn't we? (laughs) For sure. We'd be at peace. Even the stress would start to look good. Yeah, that's right. Um, so where where can people find you? If they're looking and interested in your services, where can they visit you? Do you have a website, um, information, telephone number? They can contact you for more information. Yeah, so I have an online presence and an offline presence. My website is authorizedlove.com, yes. of course. And my office is in Vero Beach on 17th Street. My phone number is 772-925-5104. And I am on every social media platform, Facebook, Instagram, and... She is, I can vouch for it. (laughs) And you can find me at Danielle Randall, or if you search for hashtag authorized love, you will find me. And you're the only one that's got it, so it shouldn't be hard to find, I'm a trademark. (laughs) You are a trademark. Well, thank you so much again for coming in and talking to us about the amazing gift you have and how others can benefit from this and and just becoming your best self, right? To have that freedom to um, be able to walk around the earth present, but loving yourself and being able to love others really truly the way that we should and the others deserve as well. So thank you again for coming in. 
And thank you so much, Haley, for being an awesome neighbor and for having me come in. She walked all the way from next door. This was a really long trip. All right, so make sure to check her out at her website and also check out my next podcast next month where I will be revealing my next guest speaker right here on my podcast, One Life.